This is Listen Up, Home Buyers, the only podcast offering home buying advice and tips from true buyer agents. And now, here's your host, Victoria Ray Henderson. Hi, thank you for joining me for Listen Up Home Buyers, the only podcast that offers advice and tips from true buyer agents. I'm Victoria Ray Henderson. I'm a broker with the Buyer Brokerage in McLean, Virginia, and I am so happy to have with me Rona Fishman with Four Buyers Real Estate LLC in Cambridge, Massachusetts, Andy DeFelice, Exclusive Buyers Realty in Savannah, Georgia, and Charlotte Lemon, Real Buyers Agent in Charleston, South Carolina. Thank you so much, ladies and brokers, for joining me. Now, uh, I'd like to start off with kind of a roundup of where everybody is right now, because uh, as we are meeting today, it's summer 2021. Uh, The spring market has been pretty unusual um, with a lot of... um, buyers and uh, historically low inventory. We've had also low interest rates. So let's kind of go around and Charlotte, let's start with you. What's been happening in Charleston? Oh gosh, it has been a great year. Um, Given that Charleston yet again was named the number one city to relocate to. (laughs) We are very busy here. I think it's been seven out of the last 10 years that we have been named that. So we've got people coming from all over. And I am happy to say that the first three months of the year were crazy hectic with lots of multiple offers, people coming out of the pandemic, traveling, ready to buy, ready to relocate. But now that we are in the summer, I will say that things have slowed down a little bit and that instead of houses selling within 24 hours, of course, we still have that. But um, for the most part, the majority of the houses that I am dealing with my clients, we are seeing them stay on the market at least two days to give us a little bit of breathing room to contemplate going back a second time or moving on to see if something else doesn't come up. Hmm. Andy, what's happening in Savannah? So similar to Charlotte, we've had a real hectic first quarter of the year, and now things are slowing down a little bit. I know a month and a half ago, almost every offer I was writing had an escalation clause in it, and we would win most of those. Um, Not using that so much now, because it is loosening up a bit in certain areas of our market, not in all of them, but it is relaxing a tiny bit. Our buyers are still getting fatigued with the multiple offer missing out, multiple offer missing out, um, but not as bad as it was before. And I am starting to see longer days on market. I'm also starting to see a little bit of a price decrease. I think the listing agents now after the house sits on the market for a week, they're starting to drop the price a little bit. So, and I'm seeing our appraisers getting much better at really valuing the house at an accurate value. Where at the beginning of all of this, appraisals were coming in high. Um, as were the prices. And now I think things are starting to level off a little bit. We're not flipping to a buyer's market by any stretch of the imagination yet, but we are, it is softening to a degree, which is wonderfully relaxing for my buyers. Yeah. Yeah. And Rona, how about what's happening in Massachusetts right now? So Massachusetts is strongly seasonal, unlike my colleagues in the South. Um, You know, we are, we're very tied to the academic year because both people with children and a lot of the employees who work in this area are working at the colleges. So um, we're very seasonal. And because we're so seasonal, our market regular, you know, in a, in a normal quote, quote year, our market will slow down when we get to the point where buyers can't buy and be settled before school starts. 
And we're starting to see the beginning of that part of the season. And it almost feels like a normal summer doldrum, which makes us very happy. Yeah. Uh, because the spring was um, unusually busy. And it was because there was a lot of demand and there was not enough supply. So without, you know, supply and demand is supply and demand, but this was supply and demand like tenfold normal. So we were also seeing the, it comes on the market on Thursday. People can see it Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, offers Monday night or Tuesday night. Um, Some of them were like, we can't get everybody in. So we have 15 minute appointments. And you know, I can't pick a pair of shoes in 15 minutes. How can somebody pick a house in 15 minutes? So um, it was it was very demoralizing for our buyers and for my agents. Um, and around Memorial Day, it started to get a little bit more normal. And after July 4th, it got significantly better in terms of not being so strictly sellers can do whatever they want. Um, the bragging rights right now is in the past past five offers of one of my agents, Dave, five of his, of the last five offers, four of them have been under asking price. Um, and it was like a week or two on the market. So this is what's happening is that the public is now trained that if it's still on the market on Wednesday, something's wrong with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're using that to our advantage and it's working out very well. The other thing that's happening is we're silver, what we call silver meddling, which is that we make an offer, we're offer number two, they accept offer number one. And then offer number one bought after seeing it for 15 minutes and they pull out and the agents call us because our, offer, our buyers are prepared, our buyers know what they're doing and our buyers aren't flaky. Um, so we're silver meddling more than we ever did before. And in terms of volume, we're like 40% ahead of where we were two years ago. We're not counting last year. Wow, doesn't count. That's great. We're way ahead of 2019. Um, so we're, 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 you know, considering we're in a, we're getting beaten up seller's market. We're mm-hmm. really, really happy here at Four Buyers Real Estate. Um, good. All right. Yeah, Charlotte. What I mean, you know, you do have that kind of a, a beach thing going on. What are there different strategies or different things that are happening in your market that are working for your buyers? I have never heard of this silver meddling, so that's a really interesting <laughs> way of phrasing it. <laughs> that's really awesome. Um, my market. I, let me I interrupt. Have... The credit for that is Ron Rothenberg, who's also a, a member of NABA. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Um. No, I mean, the beach is the very same, believe it or not, even in the luxury markets, I'm seeing competition. Quite frankly, I'm buying at Seabrook Resort at the end of this month, and we are way above what we should be paying for the condo. And to Andy's point, the appraiser, that was not even a hurdle for the appraiser because at the time and for the last several months ahead of and behind our contract, there have been no condos available. So I can only surmise, having not spoken with the appraiser, of course, that inventory is what helped him find the price we're buying it for legitimate for the loan. So you're you're personally buying it. Say again? You're buying it. No, 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 my clients. Okay. 
Okay. My clients are buying it. No, not me. <laughs> so funny though is EBAs. Don't we all say we're buying? I mean, okay. I know I do that with my clients. We bought this house three years ago, or we just got one under. It's always a we and not a they. Right. We are such a team with our right. That's I mean, I'm I'm not at all surprised to sit here. You say I'm I'm buying. Exactly, exactly. exactly. Right. We got yeah. it. We got it. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one thing that sets us apart from traditional realtors is we truly do see this as a partnership with our clients, not just a they and us kind of stuff. I love that you said that, Charlotte. That yeah. so happy. That's great. It's a, it's a genuine relationship that we form with our clients. So we yeah. hurt when they hurt and we celebrate when they celebrate. Yeah. That is so true. That's great. Andy, Andy, what's happening in Savannah with you? Tell tell some of the stories that are <laughs> my four sweet client. Well, I have a couple of clients right now that are desperate to sell what they have. I sold it to them a couple of years ago and due to job relocation or family stay, you know, family changes, they are so desperate to buy somewhere else in our market. So we go look at houses and I keep saying, guys, you got to get your house on the market. And of course, in this market, we're still, and they both have very desirable homes. So when they put it on the market, it's going to go. And one of them in particular has a very small infant and two dogs. And I said, when they called me, okay, where are you going to go? Because the minute you put your house on the market, it's going to be gone in, in like two days. And sure enough, they won't put it on the market because they're terrified they won't have somewhere to put their bank. So I'm I'm struggling with that because they continue to want to go look, want to go look, want to go look. And I keep saying no seller is going to consider a contingency on the sale and close of a house, especially if we don't even have it on the market. Yeah. I mean, at least get it listed. I have had clients moving from other parts of the country in similar situations. They have no choice. So what I've done with that, and I've been successful with it, I have their listing agent put together basically a CMA on their house that I can present to the listing agent and seller on the house that we're buying that says average days on market in this neighborhood is whatever. And here's the statistics to support this house is going to sell quickly. So that's been a nice thing to support an offer with a contingency. Yeah. I'm just going to jump in since this is a, a you know video for a lot of people who are first time home buyers, just to kind of give a quick, um, uh, explanation of some of these terms. So, so what we're talking about is when there's a, a person who is going to sell their house, um, they ha will have, uh, in some cases, a need to have a contingency, meaning they'll have to sell that house in order to have the money to buy their next house. And the idea or the hope would be that that wouldn't be the case. Um, because any time that you're in a competitive situation, if you've got somebody who, um, a, a seller, who is looking at all the different offers coming in, if somebody has to sell their property before they can buy the seller, you know, the house that is, is, is a desirable house, that is going to slow the process and that could potentially put your offer at the bottom of the stack. Anybody want to add to that for any? Yeah, I would sort of say when, as a buyer, you should always think about what the seller is thinking. And the first thing the seller is thinking is how much. And the second thing the seller is thinking is what can go wrong. And if what can go wrong is the sale of another property, which means a whole another set of things could go wrong. You know, the inspection could fail. The, um, they could, the buyers could fail to get a mortgage. The buyers could lose their job and fail to get a mortgage, all kinds of things. So the seller wants the least amount of risk and a contingent on the sale of another house is a huge risk. 
And I've been doing this a long time. I've been doing this for almost 30 years. And um, once we have gotten an offer accepted with contingency to buy it, you have to sell their other house. Mm -hmm. um, and I would suggest, and you'll have to find out if it's legal in your area, but um, the way around it for, for people who are trading up or trading down who, who can't, who have to sell their house first in our market, we do what's called a, a use and occupancy, mm -hmm. which is not a tenancy. Mm -hmm. You don't want to you don't want to rent back because oh, that that creates a lot of um, rights as a tenant. Mm -hmm. But here we have what's called a use and occupancy that says the sellers can live in the house for whatever the mortgage lender will let you do, which is usually ninety days. Mm -hmm. So that sometimes works because then they can get it under agreement and they know they have three months to find another place. Right. Um, and the other thing is having a contingency in the sales agreement, just making sure that the, the buyers know that they won't be able to move in for that long. And in a market like this, they'll still be buyers. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. We so have post office. That works here. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Oh, Charlotte, did you want to say something? I saw you raising your hand. Or no, you I was just, um, I thankfully have not had the situation where my clients were in that transitional phase of selling and then needing to buy. Most of my clients um, have sold their house because their market is so much like ours. And so they have sold their house. They are thrilled that they have gotten the amount of money they have. Mm -hmm. And so they are choosing to stay where they are and rent, or they're coming to Charleston to rent to see better where their commute will be best suited for them to yeah. get to and from work. So thankfully, I understand that it is a huge issue as you've just talked about Rona, but I have not encountered it myself, mm -hmm. thank goodness, because it is tricky trying to sell, close, and buy the next one without having to move twice. Yeah. Well, like I said, even to get a seller to consider it is just not, not in this market. No. They don't have to, to Rona's point, when they're looking at yeah. three, four, five offers, and this one's got this huge beacon right. saying, this is a problem. This is a danger. Problem. Danger will run. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's difficult. And that's where, and I don't know how y'all's market is in your areas. Our rental market is almost as tight as our selling market. So finding somewhere to live, especially on a short term basis, is almost as hard as finding someplace to purchase. So it's really been, like I said, it's starting to loosen up a little bit, but it has been a big challenge for some of my clients. Mm -hmm. As far as I, mean, I put a couple of people in vacation rentals right. and they've stored their furniture because that really was the only option for them to do in a short term. And that adds to their expense and their stress and their aggravation. So, yeah, it's a, it's a lot. We have uh, the post occupancy agreement like what you have, Rona, and uh, that that helps that that helps a lot because it does give us that cushion where people can stay in their property for 30 60 90 days um you know and what we're also finding um i have two clients right now who are are in transition like this and one of them has a great dane uh wow. yeah and so who wants to you know so she's looking for a short-term rental for her family with her great dane and her horse yeah and her horse. Wow. <laughs> They're so, sweet, sweet, docile animals. Oh they are big guys. Adorable. Adorable. Yeah. So, you know, we're finding some short-term things on like Airbnb and places yes. like that. Um, and fortunately, you know, Washington, D.C., Baltimore area, it's a dog-loving area. So people right. are like, 
I love Great Danes. And I'm like, thank goodness. (laughs) So we're finding success that way. But it is, I do find that that I have been the most creative um, over the last, I would say, year, really, with contracts and strategies. And, you know, what is it? um, uh, Necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah. Um, you come up with these ideas and you're like, wow, that, that, you know, I would never have thought of that. Um, anybody have anything like that, that they want to share that they've tried in this market that they haven't tried before? I'm thinking sure there have been some, but every, every, every single thing is so different. Every transaction is different. Every purchase is, there are different nuances to everything that we do. Um, I, I don't do the love letter to the seller. I have buyers who want to do it. I hate it. And we don't do it. I don't agree with it. I think there's some fair housing issues there. So I don't like promoting that. Um, I think of anything specific. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, you're right. It has challenged us. Mm-hmm. Think outside of our traditional real estate boxes, right? I mean, I think as EBAs, we think outside of the traditional box anyway. Right. But this market truly has made us get very strategic in our contracts writing and our contract presentation. One thing we have done now that my brain just started to work, um, we make a point when we do an offer on a property to let the listing agent know if it's applicable that we have actually set foot in this property. We have physically seen the property because so many people are buying houses virtually and then they get here and they don't like them and they terminate the contract. So it does give us a leg up, in our opinion, when we can say we actually took our buyer in this property. They've seen it, they felt it, they smelt it, they loved it. Without, it wasn't a virtual. And I know we've won a few deals that way by making sure the listing is. Andy, you mentioned a strategy that I'm interested in Mm -hmm. where you were going above highest and best by saying that you would provide in excess. Mm -hmm. How how what dollar value are you setting when you purchase like that i've never done that but i've heard of that strategy an escalation clause yes so basically what it says is we will beat your best offer by let's say a thousand dollars up to x and x is something that you and your client have to determine you're going to be able to work with and you also have to keep appraisals in mind unless your clients are willing to make up that gap we don't encourage our clients to make up an appraisal gap unless it's just a, they're going to have to have the house and they're going to die in it because I don't ever want somebody to overpay. Um, and there's just, there's specific language for the escalation clause, um, but it that's basically what it says. And in the language, it also says, because this is something my clients always ask about, the seller, I'm sorry, the purchaser has the right to ask for documentation showing that we actually did beat a valid offer can't have private information on it. So names are blacked out, but we do if we need, if we feel the need to. Um, One thing that I've started doing when I was using escalation clauses, my clients always want to go in above ask with the main offer and then let's escalate it up another. I'm like, no, no, if it's it's on the market for 485, let's go in at 475, but escalate up to 495 if that's where you're comfortable because there's no guarantee that their best offer is going to be at or above the asking price. You might be able to get it for less than the asking price. It just depends. And I have gotten several, we've been able to win several of those transactions at less than the list price. I'll be happy to share the language with my escalation calls with you, Charles. Because it does, it is very successful. And I've been using it since before this all happened. 
Um, I actually, we were one of the first in Savannah to use escalation clauses. Now everybody uses them. Mm -hmm. But it's very common in our market. Rona, do you That's use escalation clauses? Where you um, we used to, and they've gotten very unpopular here. Huh. There are a bunch of listing agents who will say the seller is not interested in in, in escalation clauses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it, it you know it, we've had it can create that. sort of a a um, a what happens if there's five people with an escalation clause? Do you mm -hmm. ask them to write up their offer and then go bid into the next one? Yeah. So there's just a lot of room for for sort of slimy behavior. Mm -hmm. So um, around here, a number of the agents have said, we don't want to talk about escalation clauses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've had that as well. Um, sometimes I think it's just the sheer numbers of, uh, it's the math that they That's don't- That's what I was going to say. It's trying to do the math. They have to sit down yeah. on, a, on Tuesday morning and look at all these contracts. All right, this one escalates at a factor of a thousand going up uh, to 525. This one goes to 527. The factor's you know, 2,500, it can be pretty complicated for that, mm -hmm. that side. Um, and, you know, again, I think it's important, like you've all said, and I think we make it clear, you know, we, we work for our buyers um, as exclusive buyer agents and brokers. It, you know, I always say I'm building team, you know, whatever your name is, Team Smith. And on your team, you know, you're the team captain. And I'm one of the members of that team. And we're going to make it work. You know, I'm going to, run defense for you or whatever that sporting analogy would be. I've never played football, but, um, <laughs> but, um, but in any event, you can do defense and basketball too. Big. Okay. <laughs> see, it's not specific. I should not use sports analogy. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly not my, <laughs> but anywho. Um, yeah. So, you know, we build that team and we work hard for you. And, uh, and that is really the whole the whole fun thing about about being an exclusive buyer broker, you know. Exactly yeah. Anyone have anything they'd like to add? Yeah, I, I have a story as soon as I get my phone cleared out here. Um, this weekend. Um, so part of what's happening in our market is, you know, we were talking about the seller doesn't want to wants as little risk as possible. I mean, forget having to sell another house around here. Sellers are saying we don't want to let you have a home inspection. Oh, wow. And this, is this has been happening for a while. And they don't say, we don't want to let you have a home inspection. They basically say, if you have contingencies, you're going to the bottom of the pile. Mm -hmm. And what we've done is we have made alliances with some of our home inspectors who have now developed a truncated version of an inspection where they don't write up the whole report. So they save lots of time there. And then they don't look at like, do all the outlets, are all the outlets grounded or, or do all the windows open and close? They look at the big ticket items mm -hmm. and we get a sense of big ticket items. And I have a story about this because um, last Saturday we did what's called a pre-inspection so that they could put in an offer without an inspection clause. And the inspector took his drone up to look at a rubber roof that was done this year on the top of a dormer of this house. And that's Ooh, the rubber. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. Wow. What's going so on? They that? did not even flatten Bubble the rubber. It up. So it's not Look a at that. Oh my gosh. Thank God. And, you know, our buyers didn't get the property because they were overbid. Mm -hmm. 
but whoever overpaid for it and didn't have a home inspection is going to have a leaky roof in a couple of years. Wow. And we have, we have a policy in our office that everybody gets a home inspection. And this is why. Yeah, that's a wonderful tool. That is a wonderful tool. I also think it's so cool that this, this guy uses the drone. It's a drone, right? <laughs> it's so much fun to watch him use the drone. I was just um, thinking about it as you were saying that. Those of us that have been in the business 30 years, and I'm with you, Ron, I've been in it that long. Who would have ever thought that we would have been having a conversation, one like this, right. where there's four of us on a television screen, for lack of a bit, and talking about our inspectors using drone technology to do home. I mean, yeah. boy, the times have changed. Yep. It's amazing, and thankfully... You know, I, I, it sounds like um, you're still getting home inspections in the South. How about you, yeah. Victoria? Oh, okay. gosh. No, we, have, we, we do pre-contract home inspections as well yeah. because um, we never want anyone to have buyer remorse. We're starting to read a lot about that. People who are paying, you know, in D.C., we had we lost out uh, on, a, on a deal where somebody overpaid, beat us out, $250,000 all cash. This was $1,250,000. Wow. All cash, like you know, but so they got the house, but you know, a month later, two months later, what do they tell their friends? Yay, I got it. And I paid this much more for it. Then mm -hmm. you, know, it's just, you wonder. That's not bragging rights. Right. <laughs> that's desperation. I mean, it really is just desperation. And that's where that's, that's how we silver metal. Mm -hmm. It's when people like that wake up in the morning and go, what did I do? <laughs> and, they, and they have a $10,000 deposit on the transaction, they walk away from it. Yeah. yeah. And then really we get a call saying, do your people with some brains and some some yeah. advice, <laughs> they still want to buy this house. And due diligence, yeah, yeah. that's fantastic. Yeah, it's just so crazy. Yeah. Well, uh, Rona, you're gonna get the last word. Um, oh, I am. You are Rona Fishman with Four Buyers Real Estate in Cambridge, Massachusetts, Andy DeFelice, Exclusive Buyers Realtor in Savannah, Georgia, and Charlotte Lemon with Real Buyers Agent in Charleston, South Carolina. Thank you so much, ladies, for joining me. Thank you, Vic. Home Buyers. It's been so fun. This was a great Thank time. You. Yeah, well, thanks, guys. Enjoy your day. You've been listening to Listen Up, Home Buyers, the only podcast offering home buying advice and tips 